Hey, Holy Roast fans, it's co-host Rob Tucker here with the Holy Roast Podcast, and we're so glad you're tuning in to this week's episode. This week's episode, my co-host Rachel will be interviewing Amy Odin. Dr. Amy Odin is a contemplative teacher, speaker, and scholar. She's published four books on spirituality, including her most recent, Right Here, Right Now, The Practice of Christian Mindfulness. Dr. Odin serves as a spiritual director and currently teaches early church history and spirituality at St. Paul School of Theology in Oklahoma City. It's a fantastic conversation, and I know you're going to enjoy it. Be sure to like and subscribe and comment um, how much you've enjoyed this, and, and be sure to engage with us here. This is the Holy Rose Podcast. Well, Dr. Odin, thank you so much for being with us today and for taking some time to hopefully just encourage our pastors and our clergy colleagues that are in the trenches doing ministry day in and day out, and sometimes finding it hard to practice spiritual disciplines uh, to, to kind of maintain our own spiritual health when we know that is some of the most important work that we can do. Um, so I just really appreciate the conversation. And I know that you uh, have taught from church history to spiritual disciplines. You've practiced as a spiritual director. Um, so I'm wondering if we could just kind of start off right off the bat. Um, what do you think is a, a common myth that people have about spiritual disciplines or even spiritual direction? Yeah, I think the most common myth is I'm not doing it. Hmm. That whatever it is I, what, and whatever I'm doing, it doesn't count. That I've got to learn something different or be spiritual in some other way. So I think the most common misconception is just not being able to recognize and name that, you know, all of you all already have lots of spiritual practices. And you're already a deeply spiritual person. So you don't have to become somebody else in order to, to practice or to be spiritual. I think that's the most common misconception. Oh, that's fascinating that we're already doing spiritual practices, even if we don't name it as that or exactly. recognize it. Yeah, you know what your favorite time of day is. Um, just think about your daily life. Like, what's typically these days, is it that first cup of coffee? Is it picking up kids at school? Is it, you know, and and just start paying attention to that moment. Why is it your favorite time? Probably because you're really present to yourself and your life. That is a key spiritual practice, and, and it can grow from there. So, so much, um, you know, truly the spirituality is a, is a cottage industry, <laughs> And so in some ways, I want to take out the mystique and say, look, you don't have to go to a class or read a book or start doing something new. Start where you are, because you know that the holy has already shown up in your life. Wow. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, it reminds me of when I met with a spiritual director when I was in seminary, because I was feeling this guilt of like, I'm in school and I'm taking these classes on scripture and church history, but I've never prayed less than I am right, right now in my life. And, and so uh, the chaplain at the time at Duke said, you know, just instead of taking the bus to your car after class, just walk to your car. It takes 10 more minutes and use that as your prayer time. And it was outside. It was good for my body and my soul. It's kind of mm -hmm. reclaiming some of that time that we all have. We just don't recognize. And so I love how you described it as being present mm -hmm. fully in that moment. Do you have any other maybe examples throughout the day or that you imagine like busy, overstressed clergy, you know, might recognize as like moments to be present? Yes. I mean, you eat meals every day. 
and meals are a, a key place, right, of honoring our bodies, uh, paying attention to our bodies, and a place we can be present. Now, often we're eating on the run. We're eating while we're doing something else, while we're returning emails. So don't feel bad if you can't, you know, be present at every meal every day. But even just just taking the times that are already there that you're eating, right, that's a time to pause and breathe and look somebody in the eyes if you're, you know, somebody else is there. Um, if it's a moment of gratitude, maybe that's all it is. You know, it doesn't have to be 30 seconds. That's plenty. Um, and grow from there. You also probably bathe or shower, you know, maybe even a couple times a week. Maybe it's every day. <laughs> but but we have a lot of encounters with water, more than humans across human history probably have ever had. We have more access to, to water, and we, you know, we shower. Anyway, and, and I think those are experiences, certainly, of remembering our baptism and be grateful um, or, or just being present. Yeah. Yeah, washing dishes. I, washing dishes. The liturgy of washing dishes. Yes. If, if, instead of watching TV, I could be present in that moment, yeah. watching washing yeah. dishes. Um, you probably know I have the book Every Moment Holy. Yes. And in a good week, I haven't picked it up in a while, but they have a liturgy for changing diapers. Yes. And that's the life stage I'm in right now. Oh, yeah. Um, no one enjoys wrangling a wild toddler. Just he's strong now. Uh-huh. He's strong. Yeah. He can Sometimes. kick. He can kick. Sometimes I got to put him on the floor and put a leg over him, you know? And it's yeah. like, I'm not thinking of brain in yeah. that moment. Sure. Um, but when they're smaller, maybe cuter. Yeah. <laughs> there can be, it is one of those everyday moments, though, that if you train yourself or maybe just be present, mm-hmm. uh, not distracted in that moment, there's a moment of gratitude there for sure. Yeah. And, and you know, our whole whole culture is really tuning in to the key experience of breath. And, you know, there's a lot of breath practices out there. There's a lot of focus on breathing. And and that's another place in the day. Uh, say you're you're driving to work or you're driving kids to school or you're driving to the grocery. Like your, your time in the car, if you will choose to not turn on a lot of uh, noise, um, to use that for some breathing, ruach, yeah, you know the divine life that is breathing—that is something we don't earn or create. It's a gift. So even just it, again, it doesn't have to be some fancy practice. It doesn't have to be done for a long time. Give yourself, say, you know, three breaths. Yeah, great. It it will bring you into a present, uh, being more present in your own life and to God's presence. Yeah, I felt an invitation to breathe deeply just then, even as yeah. you were describing that. I'm like, oh, that sounds that sounds lovely, just to exhale. Um, this is kind of related uh, of one of our questions that we wanted to ask is that most of us clergy leaders, we know are feeling this stress and this pressure to be successful or to produce fruit, you know, to, to in our in our churches that you can point to it and say, look. And sometimes it sounds like, look at what we're doing, which is the exact opposite of what we're, we're trying to do in our mission as a church, and yet so many of us feel kind of this pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering if you have any just words of wisdom or advice for clergy that are feeling particularly in that space, just mm-hmm. kind of overburdened by 
Maybe nothing I'm doing is working. These people won't show up to a prayer meeting. I right. I got to succeed here. Right, right. Oh, gosh. I can say a lot of things. So <laughs> let me just try to narrow it down to two or three things okay. about that. The first thing is you don't produce fruit. Yep. You're not that powerful. <laughs> That's not something you have the power to do. And you know that. Right? Mm-hmm. That is God's work. Your responsibility is to be connected to that source that can produce fruit, but you don't produce it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We know that, and yet we feel the grind. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Um, I think the second thing to say is pay attention to the fruit inside you. What are you noticing that God is doing, right? Begin, because that is so trustworthy. And, and you believe it. Um, and part of that, seeing what the fruit is in you, helps you have eyes to see fruit in others that may not fit the metric you were given. Hmm. So part of the problem sometimes is with the metric for fruit, like how do we, how do we see it? So cultivating eyes to see. And so for you, the metric may be something like, I noticed she talked to somebody she's never talked to before. Hmm. Like, that's fruit, mm-hmm. right? So so learning to name and claim, you know, all the ways fruit shows up, right? And then thirdly, I just lost it, so hang on because I liked it. Oh, thirdly, remember, um, in in theological speak, remember to be epistemologically humble. Mm. That is, you don't know what fruit will be produced. So you may not see, feel like we're, you know, I'm being faithful and I'm not seeing it, I'm not seeing it, and you may never see it. That doesn't mean there's not fruit. Remember, there's a lot you don't know and you will never know. So somebody may visit one time, never come back, and two years later in two states away, they show up somewhere because of that experience, that they weren't ready for more, but now they are. And you'll never know, right? So to always remember that the, the Spirit is at work in ways we cannot see and cannot know and to not commit the hubris of thinking, if I can't see it, it's not there. Wow. Yeah. Wow. The humility of, of I mean, there's just, just like a surrender of control there. That like before we are pastors, we are disciples, disciples of Jesus Christ who are supposed to be picking up our cross daily and surrendering and living for not our own glory and gain, but for the glory of God, right? Yeah. Um, and yet, I don't know, I think sometimes that the latter of our world and that so the context that we're in, it's just, it's so loud. Um, there's so much pressure to be more, do more, succeed according to everybody else's metric right. that it's. Yeah. That can be the big lie. But I do want to say, and, and for all of you listening, what a beautiful desire that you want the fruit, right? Mm-hmm. It's not bad to want to succeed. Yeah. You're not, I don't think it's vain glory to yeah. want there to be fruit and be disappointed when you don't see it. And you can exercise some self-compassion. Yeah. You know, of course, because you love 
Christ's church. You love the body of Christ and you want it. So, of course, that's hard and it can be heartbreaking. Yeah, and that's real. Yeah, yeah. But I'm hearing you say, like, train your eyes to see fruit that you may not be able to report on a number anywhere to anybody, you know, but it starts with noticing the fruit of what God's doing in our own hearts. Mm-hmm. Of, of abiding there, right, mm-hmm. of, of having that connection to the source who actually can produce the fruit and who actually, yeah, it's not, a, it's not all up to us as much as it might feel that way at times. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I love how uh, in your, on, on your own website, and I'm, I'm going to miss the quote now. Oh, here it is. How, uh, you describe yourself, or on, on here it says, her passion is to introduce spiritual practices that can ground and nourish lives for justice in the world. And I'm wondering if you can just quickly maybe connect like how how you see, and it's related to what we're talking to, of course, but how do spiritual practices and justice relate to one another? Yeah. Well, golly, you know. That's a big one. <laughs> particularly within our, our Wesleyan tradition, um, they're just critically related uh, and certainly need each other. And I don't know any social activist, any Christian activist that isn't deeply spiritually grounded mm. um, if they've lasted more than about two years. Wow. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know any mystic that isn't a social reformer, right? They're yeah. absolutely wedded. And in fact, I think we do a lot of harm when we bifurcate them, when we get binary, like the people who pray, you go over there, and Hmm. the people who uh, want justice, you go over there. There's a lot of danger in that because the the folks who want to turn inward and just be sort of self-absorbed, if it becomes that, right, then we're no longer following Jesus into the world. On the other hand, for folks who seek justice— if we're not spiritually grounded, if we're not connected to our source, then we start thinking it's our job to do everything, and we begin to mirror the systems of injustice we're seeking to change. So we become, you know, we want to dominate, we want to demonize our opponents, right? All of that that will not bear fruit and is not sustainable. Um, And so, and, and our tradition, you know, all the way back to Jesus, is these things are all connected. And so I, and, and I personally came out of the social justice tradition. You know, that was my family's orientation from the time I was a, a toddler. Um, and so for me, it's been learning to incorporate uh, spiritual grounding and, and prayer and practice. So, and that then can help, you know, sustain a lifetime. Yeah, yeah. They really do go together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Okay, and then if you could have coffee with any spiritual practitioner of any time, who would you choose and why? Hmm. I'll say today, today, I'm a historian, right? So I can think of dozens and dozens. Um, I've been reading a lot of Howard Thurman lately. And so I think I'll say Howard Thurman. Um, There's something in his spirit, his incredibly brilliant intellect um, that is so deeply integrated then into practice 
that I could just sit at his feet. Yeah. Yeah. Cup of coffee would be nice too. <laughs> I agree. Amen to that. Well, and, and a practice that uh, we would like to do at the end of each one of our interviews, just to kind of help it feel like we're getting to know each other and encouraging one another, is to do sort of like hot seat rapid fire questions. So uh, just kind of the first answer that comes to your head. We'll okay, end, I'll try. We'll end with these four, four questions, um, or maybe five. <laughs> uh, what are you reading right now? Howard Thurman? Uh, <laughs> is that what it was? I, I, I mean, for for formation, I'm actually reading Cindy Lee's book called Unforming Ourselves, or form, yeah, uh, de-westernizing okay. Christian spiritual formation, Ooh, wow. um, which is really helpful. Yeah. Um, for fun, though, I'm reading this great uh, novel written by a Chickasaw um, author a, a, that kind of is a historical fiction that reimagines um, some indigenous peoples on the East Coast um, encountering Europeans like in the 13th, 14th century. And so that's a lot of fun. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. What's keeping you alive right now? Mm. Well, let me... Um, hmm. Spaciousness. Spaciousness keeps me alive. Just having, you know, I probably have more open space in my life than I've ever had. And I just love it. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, what are five things on your nightstand at home? Um, a glass of water, uh, my cell phone, um, the book I'm reading, and um, what else is there? That may be it. Oh, a lamp. Yeah. That may be it. That's Not okay. much. You don't have to yeah. have five. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Simple. <laughs> uh, you're called up to bat. Imagine you're a major league baseball player. You're called up to bat. What's your walk-up song? Celebrate the times. <laughs> Come on. Bum, 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 bum. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That is a good pump-up song. <laughs> we kind of imagine it as preachers of like, what's your walk-up song to the pulpit? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, what's going what's gonna to yeah. pump us up? Okay. And then last thing, last one. Uh, what's your favorite way to unwind after a long day? Oh, gosh. You know, it's to go outside in my backyard. I've got a deck. I've got this wonderful hanging chair in my tree. Ooh. I know. And sometimes, because... Um, you know, sometimes I, there are quite a few stars. I can still, there's not so much light pollution that I can't see any, you know, and it, and it's so reorienting, mm. you know, it's so, it's, it's just lovely. Um, and I'll, you know, often just by myself and sit there and just breathe and look and, and that's really nice. And then let me say though, other times I have fallen into this crazy infatuation with football. And so <laughs> if there's a football game, I'll watch that. And and who is it that you cheer for? Well, it's <laughs> NFL, it's college. Well, okay. OU, the University of Oklahoma, you know, is a big one. Yeah. yeah. But also the Kansas City Chiefs. So. Okay. Yeah. A lot of my students oh. are in Kansas City. So Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, Cincinnati. So you're you're telling me that you've you watched the Chiefs play 
even prior to maybe Taylor Swift visiting and Absolutely. attending games. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. So you're not a Swifty Trav- Chiefs fan. No, I knew Travis Kelsey before she did. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I knew who Travis Kelsey was, but I will admit, I will confess in this holy roast time uh-huh. that I've taken more interest in it in the last few weeks. Oh, okay. Simply because of Taylor Swift. But <laughs> Something that brings us joy, you know? Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. It was great getting to know you and sharing this conversation. Thanks for inviting me. And just thanks to all of you for the incredible, incredible way you pour out your lives. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you.